Welcome, everybody. Thank you again for joining us for another wonderful episode of Achieving Greater. Uh, my name is Chad Nedland, and today we have an amazing guest, one who makes me shine even in the spite of difficulty. She is a lighthouse on a hill for those who are grieving, because grief means growth. And if you learn to apply this properly, you learn the, the way to approach it, you're going to find some significant changes in your life. So if you're looking for somebody to come along and join you on that grief journey and help walk through that with you, then definitely Jenny is going to be your option today. So Jenny, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. Why thank don't you, you introduce us, tell us a little bit about you and your background and why grief is so darn important to you. Okay, so this is the way I start most of my introductions. Hi, I'm Jenny and I love grief. And you're probably thinking, what? the heck did she just say grief is something to be avoided at all costs i hate it it's so painful fantastic that's part of it too and like chad was saying there's also so much growth and happiness and joy and laughter and it's all one big party absolutely um i know that for myself i experienced some pretty, some pretty uh, traumatic, as the world would call them, experiences in my life. Uh, I look at them and I say, I had some really huge stepping stones that helped me to gain a new perspective and a new view on life. And through that grieving process, I went through a lot of heartache and a lot of pain because I was never shown how to grieve. So the only thing I was left to do was just experience the pain. And nobody showed me that there was a way to go through it. It was just something I had to navigate on my own. And I love the fact that you say you're a lighthouse. What, is, what does that mean to you when, you when you express that you're a lighthouse for others? So that painting is actually one that I did. And it's a painting for anybody visually um visual cues it's got like a sunset or sunrise a white lighthouse with a back a black uh top and on a black bed of island rocks whatever i don't know um on the ocean so there's there's my lighthouse um so i did this lighthouse actually um not too long after i got my first high paying client hmm. um as a celebration and also as a reminder to myself that this is what I'm doing and this is what is important to me. Um, lighthouses, and as I've worked with others in their grief, as I've worked through my own grief, as I've continued my own development and growth, um, I've learned that, yes, light, everybody knows that lighthouses are a beacon for people in the storms. Um, my picture is not the light shining in the, the lighthouse, but it's a picture of the lighthouse in, during the day. So I have learned that whether the light is on or off, that's not necessarily my decision. My decision is to be that tower where the light can be on. I don't know your story. I don't know for the audience. I don't know mm -hmm. your story. I don't know where you're at. You may be in the darkest, roughest storm of your life. It may be bright as day, but still you can see that lighthouse, whether you can see only the lights to help you navigate through those storms, or you can see it as a beacon on the hill. As a reminder, oh yeah, there's still somebody there. Mm-hmm when I need it or not. I, I love that because I'm, I'm one of those guys where uh, I'm always looking at the other side of the coin because a one-sided coin has no value. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> a lot of people think, you know, lighthouse security, safety, but at night in the middle of a storm, a lighthouse doesn't mean safety. A light in the house means you're heading towards danger. But Here's the beauty that I found because we have a lighthouse northern in northern Wisconsin, right on Lake Superior. When I was really young, I was able to go up in the lighthouse during the day. And I realized that although that lighthouse warned people of danger, 
it also gave me the ability to see the beauty that was in the world around me. And so I got to look at it from that other perspective, which is one of the things that I noticed in that picture was like, there's no light. It's not needed right now, but it's presence signifies perspective, safety. And for me, like I said, you know, I always saw the lighthouse when I was younger is like, you know, it was the safety thing. And then I learned it was like, no, we're, we're a sign of danger. <laughs> we don't, we keep you on course by telling you to steer away from us by to what's safe and good. Because if you come to me, you're done, right? But why do we have such an affinity towards going to lighthouses and seeing lighthouses? Because they're there to protect us, to help us to see what we may not see on our own without their help. And when it comes to grief, how did you learn to actually get into that position? Was there something traumatic that you yourself went through and it triggered you to enter into that space? Um, yes and no. When I entered the grief world, in, in this way, I'm even more in an oddity, not only because I love grief, but because I don't have personal, quote, personal grief experience. Mm. Um, my entry into the grief world started with a five-minute meal drop-off to a woman whose husband died suddenly. And it turned into three hours of holding space and supporting this woman in her grief. That's how I got into the grief world. Okay. Um, years later, I learned that, oh, yeah, I actually have experienced grief in a major traumatic way. I was dismissed from my graduate program. Mm. And that upset my daily routines. I was the primary breadwinner. Um, it upset my identity because I was on track to become a speech language pathologist. And I knew what I would do. I knew what I would be. I knew how I would set up my private practice eventually when I got there. And all of a sudden, three-fourths the way through and one and nine months of a baby along, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was dismissed from the program. And so it upset everything that I had planned, everything that I thought God had planned for me. So uh, now I was le left wondering, all right. Who am I? What am I doing? How am I going to make this work? So in essence, it sounds like you actually got a full-on college degree in grief counseling without even realizing you were going through it. <laughs> yep. Okay. And yet I definitely have, can, can relate to that. Uh, there's been a lot of things where somebody's like, how'd you how'd you get to understanding this? And you're like, I just do. I don't know. Exactly. But years later, you look back and I'm like, well, that totally makes sense. You know, and like me in public speaking, you know, people are like, wow, how'd you become such a good public speaker? And I was like, well, it's simple. I've been terrified of people from birth to about 37 years old. Five, more, five or more people in a room. It's terrified, like nauseous, throwing up, not like figuratively nauseous and throwing up if I knew I had to be in front of five people or more and they're like well how would that make you a great public speaker I says I refuse to be controlled by the fear and I've been on stage since I was about eight awesome that's how I never looked at it and said I'm going to be a better speaker I'm going to be a better presenter I didn't get up and sing in front of 5,000 bikers because I was going to be a better presenter I did these things because I refused to be controlled by something I didn't understand. And I never understood the power and impact that was going to have on my in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, 37 years of age, I'm literally traveling at the time with my wife, speaking at a church, and I stopped in the middle. And I went, oh my gosh. You guys aren't going to understand this, but I just have to say this. For the first time in my life, I'm not scared. I had never felt that before. It was like this, this constant companion my entire life was gone. And I realized at that moment, 
he wasn't my friend. <laughs> he was just such a part of my life that I thought it was supposed to be there. And when it was gone, it was like, oh my goodness, I'm so free. And now I'm probably one of the most confident people you'll ever run into. Because what I know, I know very well. What I don't know, I don't know very long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're like, do you know everything? Not after I realize I don't know it. I mean, there's lots of things I don't know. I just don't not know that very long. Yeah. So then I go learn. And I love it when I, I run into people like yourself that says, you know what? No, this wasn't something that I pursued and then learned about. And now I think this is how I can help someone else. Like, you learned it from just life experience that taught you how to navigate something and then realized when the situation opened up naturally, I was like, wow, I can really help people here. Mm -hmm. because that that comes from an inner knowing instead of a textbook and that's one of the things that really actually drew me to your story um I mean outside of being the oddity like I am um we're we're kind of weird we look at things different we look at the other side the different perspective we see things differently than the rest of the uh -huh. world and that allows us to bring an amazing value that obviously was attractive to me because I, I love that but the fact that you, you're you coming from a place of knowing instead of a place of learning is one of the greatest things that we can bring back to the world. <clears throat> when that happened, when you had that experience um, of helping that gal over, over a meal that, if I recall correctly, she didn't even think was planned. To right. her, it seemed random when you, when you shared that with me. Yeah. Yet she gave you three three hours of her life and you were able to give her three hours of yours and your, and your family. Um, how did that shift in you? What, ha what happened at that point? What changed? So I always like, when I tell this story, I tell people regardless of what happened on her end, it was life changing for me mm. because as I reflected on that, um, that experience, First of all, I went back to my therapist and was telling him just like we always do. This was how my week went. This is what happened. And he stops me. And mind you, I've been working with this therapist for like uh, probably four years by now. Mm -hmm. And so I knew him. He knew me very, very well. He didn't have to ask me anything. I would tell him everything. But he stops me and says, can I ask you a question? uh duh i tell you everything anyways why do you need to ask but he's like have you ever considered becoming a therapist and i thought hmm well i have five kids the youngest is baby baby and um being dismissed from grad school is still very traumatic for me and every time i talk about it i get angry so um no not really <laughs> but <laughs> there, there's something to this so um, I didn't think about becoming a therapist necessarily because I didn't think that logistically or I was ready for more grad school mm -hmm. um, but it did put me on the path of thinking that there was there was there was something an opportunity for me mm -hmm. um so i started talking to people about death and grief and i got all these weird looks uh and all the go away go away i don't want to talk about that you're crazy but the more i talked about it the more people opened up to me about it the more opportunities came and so i thought okay yeah i like this this is good <laughs> and i because I hadn't, quote, experienced grief, I looked for ways that I could learn more about the end-of-life field and grief. Mm -hmm. um, found a caregiving education workshop training that I went to, and that was fantastic. I learned about loss and death in my own way, like what does loss mean and what does death mean to me? Um, and then I found a training program to help me become a certified end-of-life coach, certified grief coach, and certified life coach. Mm. 
Okay. So that was fantastic. And here I am. And now, now you went from thinking about being a therapist to certifiable. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Not a therapist, but a coach. Right. Yeah. Uh, My my business partner, on the other hand, she she was a licensed therapist, spent seven years in college, spent seven years as a licensed therapist. And she she explained something interesting to me about therapists. And I said, what's what's that? She says, well, there's two things that you can guarantee about a therapist. And she I said, what's that? And she goes, one, they're a therapist and two, they need therapy. <laughs> but she actually says, you know, I actually want to move out of therapy and go into coaching and counseling because I actually uh-huh. want to be able to take them out of the fire instead of walking through the fire with them. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's a really interesting delineation between the two. And it yeah. was the practice that she was in actually set her within these boundaries. And she's like, I want to be able to do more for people. You know, you sometimes you just want to be able to get on that personal and ask them the questions that you know will help them move forward. Uh-huh. Instead of the ones that are okay to ask. Right. And I have noticed that the heartfelt leaders, the people who have, have a spirit that just wants to see others succeed and flourish and, and prosper in their lives, they're the ones that say, I want to step out of whatever regulates how I do it that allows me to go actually do what God created me to do in the way that he created me to do it. And they're always the ones that make the greatest impact in the world. I love that. I love this part because get this. My therapist is a self-proclaimed agnostic and he did his doctoral dissertation on essentially breaking the rules Mm. and and how he tried to break down the boundaries that his father had set for him in an orthodox jewish home okay that that would be fun to read (laughs) so (laughs) even from the very very beginning he's like i'm not i'm i'm not labels i'm not a labels person but i have to be because of what I do. Yeah. But labels don't mean anything to me. And so I knew I found a good therapist for me. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who identifies is like, no, I'm a human being and I'm here to serve. Now, this has to go on my certification. This has to go on my licensing. This has to go on my insurance. But I am who I am and I'm who you get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, somebody asked me, this is why do you work in the coaching field? And I said, very simply, I says, I'm here to impact and transform lives. And no regulatory committee will stop me from doing that. That's awesome. And they said, well, well, what happens when coaching becomes regulated? I says, I changed the title. <laughs> Just, that's, that's what I do. You know, I'm not going to change who I am. I mean, I change people's lives massively every single day. I'm not going to eliminate the ability to change someone's life so positively because of a word. Right. You know, and they're like, well, coaches are so much more. I'm like, look, a coach is somebody who shows up and shows you a better way and shows you how to do it better. That's it. It's called coaching. If you want to put it into some great big old thing so that you can claim your certification, Hey, by all by, just go for it. I'm just going to help people. (laughs) Oh my goodness. People who spend their thousands of dollars on their certification get so mad at me. And I'm like, what are you more mad about? The fact that I'm able to actually just go serve people and people come to me to be served or the fact that you've spent thousands on a piece of paper that limits your ability. Yeah. Usually they stay mad, but they stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) because the reality is if you have a heart to serve others then you'll do whatever it takes to serve Mm -hmm. even if it means you have to give up a certification or a licensure or you know step out of a role or a title that you used to have it's about fulfilling who you are yeah and i always tell people i says there's there's a lot of different ways to help people but the easiest way to help people is walk in a room and change the atmosphere. Change the atmosphere and everyone will follow. 
Now we, we talked about this really briefly on how to do that with my family some nights, right before we did the interview, I'm just going to share it with them real quick. As I will walk into the house, sit down at the dining room table and just start to laugh. And my daughter will just start to laugh with me. And then I'll look at her and go, what's so funny? She's like, I don't know, <laughs> but you're laughing. And then my wife will ask, what, what happened? And I'm like, nothing. And then the whole table starts to laugh. And I will usually do this after a really, really, really awesome. No, not awesome. Bad day. When I am having an absolutely terrible day, nothing has gone right. Nothing is the way it planned. People canceled out or uh, three people are booked at the same time, you know, whatever. It just didn't go the way as planned. I'll go in there. I'll change the entire atmosphere of the room. And then I have three people lifting me up with their happiness because I helped to change their state. Mm -hmm. We get to do that on a large scale or one-on-one -on -one when we talk with somebody. We get to change the atmosphere. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about you is the fact that we've only had a couple of conversations and every single time my atmosphere changes and I don't have to change it. Yeah. You show, you show up and all of a sudden the atmosphere has to change because you're now in it. And that is an amazing and blessed gift to be able to have that and be able to share that in other people's lives. You can, you can craft a shift. You can create an atmosphere shift, but the power happens when your presence alone changes the room. And that's why I, I always encourage when I run into people like yourself, I encourage everybody just to go be in your space. Just, just go spend some time with her. You know, I'm, I'm sure she has her plan, y'all, about how you should connect with her and how to reach out and all that good stuff. Whatever it is, I encourage you just to like swamp her with awesomeness and just go be in her space for 15 minutes and, and just meet her. Um, that's not a plug. That's a directive. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a command. Do, do it. Do it now. Um, but no, there's certain people in this world that we're just better off knowing. And it's not because they're better than we are. It's because they help us become better in ourselves to be the best version of who we are. Um, if you if you could say one thing to somebody out there because there's somebody out there listening right now there's somebody listening to this recording and they're going i'm struggling but i don't have the courage or the strength to reach out to anybody what would you tell them So I am starting to work more in the suicide realm. And I heard a story recently about a teenage, teenage-ish young woman who was struggling with suicidal thoughts. And her mother was on the other side of her bedroom door crying and praying for her. That is what saved the girl's life. Knowing that her mom was on the other side of that door. Even if you don't have the courage, even if you don't have the voice, even if you don't feel like anybody cares, there is someone that cares. Your life matters. Your voice matters. You matter. I think that's really, really important to remember because there's people I haven't talked to for uh, literally decades. I have no idea what's going on in their life. I have no idea where they're at. And I pray for them daily because I do care about them. They were a huge part of my life. They may never know. Mm -hmm. They may never know that I prayed for them once, let alone 300 times a year. <laughs> and it's not a, a say a rosary type prayer. It's my heartfelt, heartfelt cry out to God to watch over them because they impacted my life in such a massive way. 
uh, one, I hope he hears it. I hope he hear, perhaps accidentally runs across his podcast. Joel Haney. He was, he was my best friend in elementary school for two years. And by best friend, he was also my only friend. And he impacted me because he literally saved my life at that point. Because in elementary school, if it wasn't for him, the only feelings, the only thoughts I had was to disappear and to never return in this life. I wasn't even old enough to really understand the concept of suicide. But all I wanted to do was disappear and never be seen again. But he was that one guiding hope in my life. He was that one friend that I had. To this day, to this day, it's been almost 30 years. 715-868-2152. Call him up right now. If he still lived at home. Last time I did it, I got his dad. <laughs> Said hi. He told me he was in college. He was doing well. I'm like, awesome. I says, if you remember, let him know I said hi and I appreciate him. He goes, will do. Did he? Have no idea. But to this day, he made such an impact that over 30 years later, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to totally restructure my brain to call him now because now it's push button. But I can, <laughs> I can visualize the rotary phone, right? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's phones were actually on walls and they were attached to cords. And we had to use our finger. And here's the coolest thing. We actually had to call our friends by numbers stored in our heads. It was crazy back then. But today, he's a, he's a phone number I remember. I can't remember my own phone number from high school. But I remember his phone number from elementary school. And I was only allowed to talk to my friend once a week on the phone for 15 minutes because it was expensive. It was long yeah. distance. He lived like nine miles away. My times have changed. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But that's only to really impress what she what she's sharing with you. There are people in your life who care about you. Even if you don't know they're there, they're still there. You're not alone. Yeah. And uh, I have a, 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 a sneaking suspicion that I don't know. Maybe Jenny would be that person on the other side of the door, willing to just be on that other side of the door and just be in your space to support you, even if you're not ready to talk. Um, have the courage to step out because sometimes even the silence of a friend can speak more than the words of a counselor. Absolutely. Um, I know they've changed my life more than anything. Anything else in the world has been the silence of a friend just willing to be in my presence when I was struggling. Um, grief grief equals growth how did you come to that conclusion so yes and grief can equal growth not everybody gets to that point okay. not everybody wants to get to that point um for people who are willing to do the work, for people who want to get there, it's absolutely and very easily possible. Because grief can show us so many, so many things, so many ways that we can grow. It shows us where we're weak. Ugh, I cannot do this at all. I need help. Mm hmm Okay, who am I going to go help? Who am I going to ask for help? How can I do this? How can, if there, there's no help available, how can I grow myself so that I can do this? And as we do those things that once seemed impossible for us, ta-da, you leveled up. Mm -hmm. Now you're more amazing. And it shows us things, it shows us ways that we're stronger than we thought we were. Grief grows us in connections, the silence of a friend, the bond of sharing the misery, the pain, the vulnerability, the courage, the joy, the laughter. We're all human. We all experience grief. Mm. And when we connect in our grief, when we connect in our growth, we give and receive from each other. 
we recognize our own humanity, we recognize the humanity of everybody else in this world. And it lifts us to higher heights if we're willing to go there. I love that. It lifts us to higher heights if, if we're willing to go there. If is such a powerful word. How do we how do we activate the if when we're struggling with grief? It starts with a recognition or even a willingness to believe that it's possible. Mm. Because if there's no possibility, if there's no hope, then why try? Right, right. Okay. And do you deal with a lot of people that are stuck at the why try phase? I prefer not to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Honest answer, I prefer yep. not to. Okay. Um, because my my strength, my passion, my personality, like you said, is looking at the other side of that coin and helping people find the growth, find the beauty, find the momentum, the power, the encouragement, the presence to move forward. And that doesn't mean forgetting about the grief, forgetting about whatever was lost. It doesn't mean that there's going to be, it's not going to be smooth sailing all the way forward, but it means, okay, I have this grief. <clears throat> I'm learning to understand it. I'm learning how I work with grief i'm learning how grief impacts me and so next time grief comes knocking at my door i can say oh hi i remember some of the things that i learned last time you came and visited me let's go on a walk mm. let's see what you have to teach me that's where my space is and if people don't want to be there they might not enjoy my presence when I'm laughing and hyper talking about grief and growth. They may be very, very uncomfortable there. Hey, that's fine. That's their choice. Mm -hmm. It's not my choice. I love grief. I love to learn from it and grow from it and to see how I can be a better human be becoming be be human being because mm -hmm. of it absolutely uh, i heard a statement one time it says the the hardest lesson or the hardest situations bring the hardest lessons but the hardest lessons bring the most beautiful results mm -hmm. be willing to have the hard lesson yeah and and i thought about that and i'm like you know it's a good point you know it's and my grandpa, he was he was a wood he was a, a woodcrafter. Like it was everything from carving to creating beautiful cabinets. Did everything in between. We'd go from rough downing a tree to creating the rough sawn lumber to creating fine furniture in the end. And uh, he ran me through the whole process. I learned so much about woodcraft, but about life. Mm -hmm. He said, "The finest finish is with the finest sand. You know, like a really fine sandpaper." And he says, but nothing ever becomes a thing of beauty without first gouging out what doesn't need to be there. He says, and that's the hard work. He says, you've got to do the hard work before you can do the detail, small stuff. He says, the detail is what all, everybody sees in the end. Nobody sees the hard work at the beginning. He says, be willing to do the hard work or you'll never have anything of high value to share with the world. And it was like, oh, wow. Because I always walked in, especially like for me with, with the grief, the hardship that I went through, it was like, I just wanted to remove the grief. I wanted yeah. to do that detail work and just make it go away. I don't want to feel this anymore. Until he, he taught me is like, you've got to embrace and, and get into and enjoy the work that comes through the process. And I learned over time that that grief was the work. That's what taught me the lessons that what made me stronger what unveiled my strength and showed me my needs for improvement as well. Mm -hmm. But that's what grew me as an individual. And now 
you know, like, like we discussed before, you know, I went through what most people would find one of the most traumatic experiences with the loss of my child. Yeah. And I went, wow, this is so empowering. This is so powerful because of this millions upon millions of lives will be changed in a great way, not negatively, like in a wonderful way, because of the pain that I experienced, the grief that was caused and the transformation that it made within me. Yeah. Um, and when we can reframe what something is, then all of a sudden the ugliest thing can become beautiful. And that's what I love about your approach. It's like, let's just, let's just show you the beauty. And then I'll, I'll show you how you, how you can get there. Like mm -hmm. it's possible. It's possible to have a hard situation and have a wonderful result and experience during the process. Yeah. And I think that's also missed because that's not taught. Some people are like, Hey, if you work through it, you'll get stronger, but they don't teach you how to enjoy the workout. And that's, that's the cool part because it's the journey. That's actually the enjoyable part. Not, not being on the top of the mountain. If you want to top, be on the top of the mountain without the climb, get a postcard. You'll get the same view. <laughs> You'll get the yeah. same view, but it'll be a completely different experience because you didn't go through the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think that's the same way with grief, with pain, heartache, loss, all of those things. If you just get the experience without the, or the, the result without the experience, then you miss the blessing that comes with it. Um, in the, in the process of grieving, I know there's a lot of, here are the five steps of grief and here's the four steps to grief. And there's even, I've even heard a, the 17 steps of grieving. And I was like, dude, are you kidding? I'm just trying to take a step right now. My dad just passed away. I'm having a hard time walking to the bathroom. I'm feeling so low, like stop giving me all these steps. Has there been a specific process that you've, you've found that helps you walk people through what you do? Or is it just a very intuitive approach? Both. Both? Okay. Yeah, both. Um, grief is individual. No way about it. There's no two people on earth that are the same. So grief is not the same. Grief is as individual as we are. And if it's even more individual because it's different from loss to loss, even within the same loss, your grief now will be different than 10 or 20 years from now. It may be even different from tomorrow. So grief is, is very individual. And it's also grief. Everybody experiences grief, just like love and anger and joy. Those are big universal concepts or experiences, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. So there are some patterns that I've found that connect us and help us understand and metabolize grief at the universal level. Um, and with the individuality, you may or may not go through each of these phases or steps or stages. I don't really like to use the word stages because of the misconception that is built up in, in that word. But um, generally, there is there there are a few different phases of the process of metabolizing grief um and it's not all linear it's not oh yay i'm done with the first phase let's move on to the next one no um because you can be grief is more like a labyrinth so uh, one phase or state of grief is actually before the loss even happens with anticipatory grief. Oh, man, this is going to be a doozy. I know it's coming. I see it happening. Dang. I don't want it to happen. Mm -hmm. It's grief. Um, so after the loss happens, there may be a period of 
Hmm. Like you said, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom. I. Yep. I'm just trying to survive. Fantastic. Do what you need to to survive. Then, if anybody's been sick in bed for a while, they know that, oh man, I'm so sick, I don't even want to move. But as your body starts to heal, the bed doesn't seem so, um, so appealing anymore. Mm -hmm. Start to get cabin fever-ish. Like, okay, I'm sick of being in bed. I'm ready to move. So you start to move. You start to maybe step out of the bed. And maybe <laughs> your body says, nope, you're not ready for that back in bed. All right. But maybe you are ready to move. Maybe you are ready to, your body is healing. Fantastic. Get moving. See what feels good to your body. Your, your body is amazing. It knows how to heal itself. It knows what it needs. Our minds and our bodies are connected. So that when we're having a grief response and our bodies are feeling it, <laughs> listen to your body. <laughs> but we've been so trained not to. <laughs> You know, it, it's, it's been taught to speak for a reason. We should probably listen. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I shouldn't say I've, I've been forced to learn, but it's a lesson that I keep being given. <laughs> and it, it, it seems like it's been given more and more the younger I get. Um, and, and I say that the younger I get, because every time I learn a little bit better, my body responds better than it used to in the past, which means it actually brings it back to the state that it should be operating in versus the state that it, it was currently operating in. Uh, a, a simple thing. I have this little band right now. Because why? Because I have, uh, a, I'm dealing with some tennis elbow. Why? Because I work at my computer. I've worked at my computer for years, never had a problem with it. I needed to get a new chair for my desk. I didn't get a new chair. I worked at a wrong angle. My mouse was just slightly off. And all of a sudden, after about a week of the new office and new chair, I developed a little bit of discomfort. My body said, hey, you should switch something. And I said, I'm busy. Don't have time. And then there was a little bit of a twinge a little later on. I was like, oh, that, that kind of smarted. And I didn't pay attention. And the fourth day of that not paying attention. And then I went and I, uh, I talked to my doc about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, does this hurt? Ooh. And I was like, no. They said, like, move your hand. It normally hurts. And I, said, I said, oh, this is that hurt? And I said, no. And they're like, all right, you got tennis elbow. Here, put a band on it. Go home. Stop doing whatever it is that you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, okay stop going to work. So I put the band on. I went right back to work. Does it hurt while I'm at work? No, not as long as the band is on. But I have a hard time picking up my coffee cup in the morning because I didn't listen when my body started talking. And I think that same thing happens not just with our body, but I think our emotions talk to us ahead of time. They don't just say, you're depressed. They say, hey, there's something going on here and they make you feel a little bit off. And I think that's what we, we sometimes dismiss because we're busy. Mm. We don't have time to deal with that. But when we don't deal with it, it causes a problem. And what would you say would be some things that maybe, maybe the self is telling ourselves to let us know, Hey, there's something that we should probably reach out and get some help with before people end up in that what they might feel is just that deep state of grief are there some things that you've noted that maybe people could pay attention to that says hey there's something going on maybe i should go talk to somebody before they're feeling defeated and unable to reach out what would you what would you tell people watch for these signs um it depends on 
what phase you're in. Um, it's going to look different. A movement phase is going to look very different than a survival phase. Mm. If you're just trying to survive, don't try and go to work the next day if you're not up for it. Don't try and force yourself into social situations because that's what you're, quote, supposed to be doing. Don't try and bury the grief and don't ever talk about it and avoid it. If your body is saying, hey, I'm not feeling too hot. I just need a day. I just need to stay in bed. Fantastic. Stay in bed. I just need to cry. Fantastic. That means you fall down on the floor in the aisle of the grocery store? Okay. We're all human. Grief happens. She's not biased. <laughs> she becomes everybody. Right? <laughs> and, I, and I think that's, that's what's important because I was kind of hoping that was be your response because since we're all so unique in this world, we were all created as individual beings. I don't believe there is one size like, oh, if you feel this way, then you must be having grief. Or if you feel this way or this trigger, it's a matter of actually just taking time to pay attention to, to our mind, to our thoughts, to our emotions, to our body. Because sometimes when we ignore the emotions, our body will tell us, mm -hmm. you know, um, and just stop and say, hey, why is this thing happening? You know, why, why do I keep running to the bathroom a little bit more often this week? Well, maybe your body's saying, hey, I've got some anxiety things I'm trying to get rid of. I'm trying to deal with something here, I'm trying to get your attention um, yeah. to not just deal with don't pop, don't pop ibuprofen. Every time you get a headache, stop and ask yourself, am I doing something that's causing me to be stressed and give myself a headache? Mm -hmm. Or if there's undue aches in the body, have I done anything that would cause these aches? Or is my body just not processing something right? You know, asking those questions and paying attention because like you said, maybe you just don't feel like getting up, spend the day in bed. This morning I got up, I looked around the house. I'm a very early riser. I looked around, nobody else was up, nobody else was moving. And I went, you know, I could go back to bed right now and nobody would know. They'd have no idea that I didn't get up at my normal time because I would go back to bed, go get, get some sleep and still get up and be up before the rest of my family. <laughs> and then I thought, but, but I'm not tired. Why would I have that thought? And I had to identify, why would I want to go back to bed if I'm not tired? I'm a naturally early rising morning person. Why would I want to do that? So I went in the kitchen, I sat down, I poured myself a cup of coffee and I stared at my cup of coffee for almost an hour with the decision that I was going to go to work as soon as I finished my cup of coffee. And I sat there and stared at my cup of coffee. And anybody who knows me knows an hour with a cup of coffee with me must mean I have lost my pulse or gone catatonic. Because I love my coffee. Enjoy a great cup of coffee. But I just sat there and I had to think about it. And I was like, okay. I just needed a break. Mm -hmm. From the go. The constant go, 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 go. And the beauty is I had a wedding anniversary yesterday. My wife and I, we went out. We spent the whole day with, with two toddlers and a baby hiking through the state, the state park. Up and down rock faces and climbing rocks. And, you know, with a, with a four, a three-year-old and a one-year-old which means I got to carry the food and the groceries and, and the child on my back. It wasn't that I was tired and I just needed to rest today. It was, I've been in go mode for about four months mm -hmm. and I forced myself to stop. And I woke up this morning and my body said, Hey, no, just, just be in this for a little bit. Just be in that stop mode. It's okay. Yeah. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't take that time and ask the question, why do I want to stay in bed this morning? Instead of just turn around, crawl back in bed. Because if I had done that, I guarantee I would have crawled back in bed, been there 15 minutes, the anxiety would have kicked and be like, I'm wasting my day. I got to get to work. 
but I asked the question. Mm-hmm. Asking the question forced me to go inside and say, what's going on? What's happening? And I would encourage yeah. people to do that because if you can catch that ahead of time, then maybe you could reach out to Jenny. Maybe you can say, hey, how do we, how do we, how do we navigate what's coming? Because I realized, you know, I'm a little bit off and there's a situation going on. What do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And she might look at you and say, go cry in the aisle at the grocery store. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know, or she might say, hey, well, let's yeah. talk about it. Let's, let's celebrate the journey that's coming. You never know. Um, that being said, I, I appreciate you coming in and spending these insights, sharing these insights with us. Um, if somebody, if somebody wanted to reach out, what would be the best way for them to reach out and actually connect with you? Easiest way is just go to my website, grievingcoach.com. I have an email newsletter up there. You can subscribe to that if you want. I put grief tidbits, insights, upcoming events, podcast episodes, celebrations, wins, whatever. It's all on my website. Um, if you want to schedule a free introductory session, that's also up on my website. Um, yeah, so just go to my website, grievingcoach.com. My podcast is Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. So go find it. Which I would highly encourage. And they won't even have to go very far because I'm actually going to put both of those down in the show notes. So if you guys do have an interest in checking it out, if you're dealing with grief or you know someone else who is dealing with grief, or even worse yet, you know somebody who's not dealing with their grief, share the information with them. You might be the very person standing outside the door that they need. So be the one that sometimes we need to step forward and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to sit outside your door. I'm going to give you some resources, but I'm here for you. Jenny's a resource that you can share with them. So don't sit back. Don't allow grief to be overwhelming for you or the people that you care about. Allow it to be something that empowers and strengthens them to live their best journey forward. So with that, Jenny, is there any parting words of wisdom or insights or funny stories that you'd like to share? Um, just, I like to end with do grief your way in your own time, in your own way, listen to your body. It knows what it's doing. Ask the questions, get curious. Mm, I love that. Get curious. In fact, my last podcast, that was one of the quotes as well. You know, when you become curious, you take the time to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe we're on, we're on a theme here. Uh, be curious, be, be open, be an explorer. Um, okay. So with that, remember, you guys are, are, your lives are filled with grace and greatness. Now it's time for you guys to gather together and share that greatness with the world today. I encourage you make sure to look you know, down in the show notes, connect with Jenny. And as always, have an amazing day and we'll see you next week. We'll talk soon. Awesome.